Welcome into the Bear Down Podcast. I'm Chris Black along with Adam Abdal. You can listen to our show weeknights right here on ESPN 1000 from 6 to 8. This is the Bear Down Podcast right here on the ESPN Chicago app. Today we talk with Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. He's their Bears reporter. You also hear him here on ESPN 1000. So it's Black Abdallah and Dan Weeder. And Adam, you got a chance to bring Dan into the conversation. I did. I asked him about his overall impression of what has taken place with the Bears, the complete overhaul of the front office, and the beginning of the overhaul of this roster. Look, I think if you're a Bears fan, you have to be preparing yourself for a 2022 calendar year that's going to be very tedious. I don't think there are going to be a ton of of high moments. I don't think there are going to be a ton of big splash headlines in terms of acquisitions and things of that nature. It is the very start of a long and tedious process that the new general manager feels is necessary to build a team that can not only win, but can win and sustain success, which as you guys know, has been a major problem in this city for really three and a half decades. And so what we're looking at right now is a general manager who's being patient, who's being disciplined, who's taken some swings in free agency that didn't connect and now has to turn his attention to the draft and fill a depth chart that is loaded with holes and needs a lot of help. Dan, when we look to the attention of the head coaching position with Matt Eberflus, a defensive-minded head coach, that's kind of not the trend taking place around the National Football League. When you hire a new coach, you want someone from the offensive side of the ball. What's your read on the hire of Eberflus and the fit here with the Chicago Bears going forward? So, Chris, there's two different sort of forks in this road, in my opinion. And, and, And the first one is that you don't have to hire an offensive-centric coach to win at a high level in this league. There's obviously proven uh, results that, that, that speak to that. You talk about the Bill Belichicks, the John Harbaugh's, the Mike Tomlins, these, these coaches that can be instantly successful and run a program. Now, the Bears taking this swing with Justin Fields going into year two requires them to have a plan to grow and develop Justin as fast as possible. And right now they've put that plan in the hands of Luke Getze as their offensive coordinator. And he is going to be as significant – to the 2022 season and, and perhaps even into 2023 as anyone else on this coaching staff. And so now it's all about Matt Eberflus as the overseer of this team, figuring out ways to help Luke Getze help Justin Fields, right? And that's a, a challenge. We obviously saw the Bears took a swing on an offensive-minded coach to uh, you know, take their offense to a new level, to develop a young quarterback four years ago in Matt Nagy, and after a promising 2018, everything fell apart. And so I don't have any problem with them breaking the mold and, and hiring a defensive coach. But with that, you better have a very detailed plan and an understanding on an everyday basis that Justin is still the most important person on your roster in terms of where this team can go. And you better be able to, to structure that plan accordingly in a way that gives everybody a chance to succeed. And when we talk to Eberflus, you know, we being like the media, you guys, and when you're holding him accountable for whether Justin Fields plays well or not, how is he being a defensive-minded head coach and kind of being hands-off with the offense going to affect the evaluations? Like, yeah, you guys get to talk to coordinators every week also, but Matt Eberflus is where the buck stops. And as a defensive-minded coach... How is he going to, like, how is the expectation of Justin Fields' progression going to be placed on him? Well, he better be aware of the accountability of exactly what you're talking about, that he is the one that is, is primarily accountable for what happens with Justin's growth. Obviously, with Nagy, there was an understanding that on an every week basis, Matt's fingerprints were all over everything that the Bears were trying to do. Eberflus isn't going to be as closely involved as Nagy was with his quarterbacks. That might be a good thing, right? If, if you have a coordinator that you believe in and can, and can turn someone loose. But with that, Adam, you, you're talking about trying to assess 
how Matt Eberflus can bring the best out of the most important people on his coaching staff and on his roster. And it's going to have to be an every week discussion that we have trying to figure out what he's doing to do that. And I think Matt Eberflus has got a lot to learn in that regard. I talked to, to Brandon Staley at the owners meetings last week, just about being a defensive center coach with your fingerprints on a young developing quarterback. Now, obviously Staley's got a quarterback in Justin Herbert, who, who's more established, who's accomplished more in the league as a rookie. And then obviously as a second year player, but he just said that you have to have that involvement and you have to understand that within your week, you better build in time to make that relationship with your quarterback a priority and make sure that you know where his comfort level is so that you can put him in position to succeed on game days. How would you describe the identity of a Matt Eberflus's defense? Well, look, they want to be opportunistic, right? And that, that's what, what Matt Eberflus prides himself on. We, we're probably going to be joking for years to come about this hits principle Right. that he has vocalized and, and talked about and, and wanting guys to be, you know, hustling and have intensity and take the ball away and be situationally smart. I think what we have to keep our eyes on is just how does that show up uh, on an every week basis in terms of the way they're holding each other accountable for the stated goals, right? It's one thing to, to, to talk to talk. Now you've got to find leaders on your roster that are going to walk the walk and set the tone and be you know, similar principle to when, when Lovey had the defense playing at a high level and, and, and getting 30-plus turnovers every year, you had leaders who understood what the standard was and would not let their teammates deviate from that standard. And I think that's going to be where this defense has to figure out how to take what, what Matt Eberflus is talking about and then turn it into action. What is left on this defense after, you know, you get rid of Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks is not going to be around, you know, you've got guys that are going to need to step up. You still have Roquan Smith, but we don't know like how he's going to fit into the scheme because Matt Eberflus is putting in a new scheme. You've got Robert Quinn, who's coming off of a, a career year and, and, and setting uh, Bears franchise records for sacks. I'm one to believe that, yes, without Khalil Mack, without Akeem Hicks, that this defense is probably going to step back. But there's still a lot of good pieces on this defense for Matt Eberflus to work with. Well, obviously you start with Roquan Smith. Um, You talk about the season that Robert Quinn had last year, and you have to figure out a way to to try to get something close to that in, in 2022 because you're going to need to establish a pass rush if you have any sort of hope of taking the ball away on a consistent basis. You've got Jalen Johnson, who in flashes last year looked like he was an ascending corner who can hold down a number one role for you going forward. But now you just have to find so many pieces. The the entire defensive front is being overhauled with, with Hicks gone and, and Khalil Mack gone and Eddie Goldman gone and all these guys that were a part of the best defense in the league in 2018. It looks nothing like that anymore. And so now you've got to find who are your playmakers, right, and who are your glue guys. And, and that's a big, big process here for Matt Eberflus and, and Ryan Poles to get their, their arms around because, they, again, look, you, you, you didn't make a big splash in free agency. You don't have enough draft capital to fill all your holes this month. And so it's going to be a long process of, of trying to find answers to a lot of questions that are going to exist for the defense going forward. Dan, when I look back at Justin Fields' season last year, his rookie year, to me the biggest critique that I would have was he was too loose with the football in the pocket too many fumbles, and thus he, he didn't have the success that I thought he would have in his rookie year from what I saw at Ohio State. Now, going forward, when you look at uh, last year's season with Justin Fields, what's something that you hope he can correct heading into this season that hopefully will give him immediate impact and, and have a better season in his sophomore year with the Chicago Bears? 
Well, look, I think you're absolutely right in sort of identifying ball security as a major plus. You can't turn the ball over on a consistent basis and, and be loose with the football and expect to have success on a regular basis. I think he's also going to have to figure out how to work, one, closely with Luke Getze to figure out what, what can we put in this offense that makes me you know, comfortable in playing free on an every down basis, and, and also what can I do from the quarterback position to make sure that, that the guys around me know exactly what I want out of them. I think Justin Fields has a, a tendency sometimes to want to wait for something to come open. And in this league, you kind of have to, to say, look, it's, it's either open or it's not. And sometimes when it's not open, it may be open, right? And you have to take some of those chances that you might not have taken in college because you had the luxury of waiting for a guy to have a, a ton of separation. Whereas here, you've got to figure out who you can trust to make contested catches and put the ball up there and try to make some, some of the big plays that were lacking. I think, if anything, from Justin's rookie season, the biggest disappointment was the, the lack of continuity, right? And, and you had that Monday night breakthrough in Pittsburgh that everybody thought could have been a springboard for the second half of the season. And then, for whatever reason, you had injuries. And, you know, the year ends with him on the, the COVID-19 list. And there was just so many disruptions over the last two months of the season that prevented him from building any sort of momentum that could have made the entire organization feel better going into 2022. Now he's got to find a, find a way you know, through this spring program to make this new staff uh, feel better so that then they can communicate to the, to the outsiders in, in the outside world, media and fans that, hey, Justin's got some momentum going. And when we, hit, when we get into training camp, it's going to be obvious. When you look at the weapons around Justin Fields, you know, they add Byron Pringle, they add Equiminius St. Brown. But so far, Darnell Mooney is going to be, as of right now, until they draft someone, your number one wide receiver. Can he be a true number one wide receiver, or is that number one slot open for who insert draft pick here kind of thing? Well, yeah, I think you, you, your ideal world is, is you, you come out of day two of the draft with one guy that, that you believe can be one of these guys. Look, like we've seen it in the league here in the last five years or so. You can find guys in, on day two and even into day three that become superstars, right? You, you look at the guys last year. I, I, I had a list. I'll have to dig it up for you, but – uh, last season, the guys that, that had at least 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, there were like eight of them that weren't first-round draft picks, right? So you can find that difference maker on day two and potentially in day three, and I'd almost be surprised if Ryan Poles doesn't take two swings at the receiver position in the draft. To your question about Mooney, he's obviously shown a lot to earn the trust of, uh, of coaches past and present, to earn the trust of the, the, the quarterback of the now, which is Justin Fields, and now he's got to figure out how to go up one level with more responsibility on his plate, I'm not sure I'm comfortable enough saying that, that Darnell can be you know, a definitive n- number one for the remainder of his career. He has that potential. I'd like to see them get some competition and, and figure out if there can be kind of a battle to say, hey, who wants to be the number one guy here? And maybe you wind up, you know, you look at the, the Cincinnati Bengals with a, a combination of uh, Chase and, and Higgins, and you say, hey, we can live with either one of those guys being our guy from week to week and, and, and try to make plays on a high level as often as possible. Guys, what do we do with Cole Komet? <laughs> Involve him? <laughs> well, I mean, Dan, I, I thought that he was going to be a very successful tight end for the Chicago Bears right out of college, but, but it seems as if he, he's getting trouble uh, getting going. Like, he, he, he's never, and when he is incorporated in the offense, I'm not seeing explosive plays from, from Cole Komet. What do you think of his... Uh, well, well, listen, I, yeah, I don't think you're ever going to see a ton of explosion from Cole Komet, but I think he can be a reliable every week contributor and, and difference maker for you 
if you utilize them. One of the things I talked to Cole about at the end of last season was the difficulty of sort of finding your footing when your entire career has been disrupted by quarterback changes. When you think about what Cole has dealt with through his first two seasons, obviously the, you know, he comes in as a rookie and the entire offseason is on Zoom because of COVID-19, right? And so you don't get to work on uh, timing and, and chemistry and, and build that rapport with your quarterbacks. And then you've got Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback. And then you've got Nick Foles as your quarterback. And then you've got Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback again. And then you've got, you know, Andy Dalton. And then it's Justin Fields. And, oh, by the way, Nick's going to come back in for a game. And, oh, we're going to go back to Andy. And, and it just there's been so much disruption that he hasn't had the chance to, to have what the best tight ends in this league have, which is an understanding of the quarterback you are playing with and an ability to understand where he wants you and where he's going to deliver the ball. My hope is that, that very early – Cole and Justin get on the same page. They both know they're going to be starters going into 2022. Luke Getze knows that, and you've got to figure out a way to bring the best out of Cole because I think he's the guy on that offensive side of the ball that has way more potential than he's shown to this point, and it's up to the new regime to bring that out of him. On our last podcast that we did, uh, we talked about the blue-chip players that the Bears have. How many blue-chip players do you think the Bears currently have on their roster? Yeah, um, I don't have the full list in front of me, but if I, if I was just guessing, I would, I would throw five out there. I mean, like these are the guys that should come to top of mind. Right. When you, when you talk about it, I yeah, would all landed on five. I had six for you. Mm-hmm. So, so five, six is, is, a, is where the conversation We had like different definitions beginning. of what blue chip players yeah, were. Yeah, though. I mean, Dan, Abdal really, is into these uh, superstar all pro type of guys. And I, I was kind of looking at <laughs> no. blue chip as like a solid contributor who's going to be uh, a good player for you that you could build a stable franchise with. Well, look, uh, I, I had two categories. I had guys that are blue chip players like Roquan Smith, Robert yep, Quinn. Yeah. And then yep. I had guys that I want to become blue chip players and then have to become blue chip players in order for this team to be successful. And I put Justin Fields in there. I put Tevin yep. Jenkins in there and I put Jalen Johnson in there as like guys that I wouldn't say are yeah. blue chip players now. But in order for this team to be successful, they damn well better be blue chip players. Otherwise, we're back to square one. I also That's gave him the uh, uh, David Montgomery, I think, is a blue chip player. Even though we don't value the running back position uh, as yeah. high as some other positions, I think he's a really solid, good player. Um, and then I, I also kind of I, I gave uh, Abdallah perhaps a Cairo Santos. And I kicked him right and, out. And then, yeah, <laughs> I kicked him right out. Yeah, I that kicked was, him that right was, out. So, so I took that off the board. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my definition of blue chip is can you be a counted on to make a difference in every single game you play in, right? That's what your blue chip guys do. That's what championship teams are built on. Guys that you turn on the TV on a Sunday and you say, these, these players are going to change this game in some way at some point in the next three hours. They clearly don't have enough of those right now. I don't disagree with you on Montgomery. I would say that Montgomery is going into one of the uh, stranger seasons, I guess, for, for himself personally, because it, it's a contract year for David Montgomery. And I'm not sure that Ryan Poles comes from a school where you want to pay your running backs a lot of money. We obviously saw in Kansas City that they were comfortable kind of transitioning around uh, the running back position around Patrick and, and, and around Alex Smith before that. And so uh, this is going to be very strange because David is very respected in that building as a, a leader, as a guy that can be leaned on and, and give you his best every single day that he's out there. But you also don't want to, to, to overextend and, and invest so heavily in a running back that you can't address other positions that you need guys to be difference makers that you just can't find in you know day three of the draft or on the free agent heap. And so it's fascinating to see how this new regime looks at the running back position and, and how they look at David in particular to, to, to find their way.
I, I think the one thing uh, we, we had the debate with the running back position is this. Khalil Herbert was really good last year in, in the spots yeah. that he was utilized. And, and so and that, as we kind of yeah. shift the focus towards like the NFL draft coming up this month, like the philosophy I would use with running back, Dan, is every year or two, I would draft a running back in the later rounds and then just never pay the running back who explodes into a star, right? You let him walk and then you hope that you could replace him somewhere down the line because you're always using those fifth and sixth round picks to find a guy like Khalil Herbert. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, you think about recent running back stars who have gotten paid, right? It's, it's, it's the Ezekiel Elliott. It's, you, you think about Christian McCaffrey. No one was better than Christian McCaffrey was a couple of years ago. Now he's been hurt yeah. for the last few years because he had so many touches and, and hasn't been able to stay healthy. And, and the Panthers aren't getting any return on that massive investment that they made. And so, I, yeah, I, I think you always have to have a guy waiting in the wings. I think you have to understand that, look, David Montgomery got hurt a year ago. Khalil Herbert came in and proved our point, right, that you can find a, a day three guy that was a, you know, a transfer from Kansas to Virginia Tech and can come in and be a reliable starter for you, and you don't have to you know, overextend yourself with the resources you have to make it happen. And so uh, it'll be interesting because you know, Luke Getzey really wants to make the running game a focal point of how they stimulate Justin Fields' year two development. It may sound counterintuitive, but that seems to be the, the, the philosophical starting point where they really, really want to be able to utilize that running game and then be able to, to turn Justin loose from there. And, and it's going to require them having multiple guys that are, are, are capable of establishing that ground game to get that going. As we look to the draft, you know, the Bears have two second-round picks. They don't have any picks on day one. And, you know, all the mock drafts that are starting to come out as we're about three weeks away from it have the Bears taking someone on the offensive line and then also a wide receiver. Would you be surprised if they go away from that route and select another position outside of offensive lineman or wide receiver on the second day? Well, look, you know... I always like to look at the draft in its entirety, and it's, it's always really easy to judge a team on, you know, say, oh, my God, they prioritize defense on day one, and then the next thing you know, the next four picks they take are offense. And so there is a, a full complement of picks here that the Bears have to use to address these things. I would be stunned if they don't use a, a, a pick on day two on a wide receiver. I think that that's as transparent right now as anything can be transparent going into the draft. Whether they take an offensive lineman there, we'll, we'll see. They need a lot of help at corner. You know, there's not a lot of corner depth on this roster right now, and you got to find some guys in Matt Eberflus's defense that can be relied on on the outside to, to, to be good cornerbacks for you. And so they have so many needs that, that I don't think they have to pigeonhole themselves into, like, these guys need to be, <clears throat> excuse me, addressed on day two. But they need to be addressed somewhere in those two days. And, and, and there's just they just don't have enough picks. And that's why I think it won't be surprising if you see Ryan Poles move back a couple times in this draft and try to add – uh, you know, bodies, really just bodies to the roster because they have so many holes to fill. I think as we're talking now, there's 57 guys under contract. You've got to get that up to 90, you know, in the next month or so. That's 33 guys that you've got to add through some combination of the draft, undrafted free agency and regular free agency. And so the, the, the more picks you can add, the better off you're going to be. What would you do, Dan, if you were running a, an NFL team and you were in this spot and you needed uh, a lot of depth on your team, you have two picks in the second round, how would you handle that? Would you go after players or would you try and move back? Yeah, no, I would move back. I, th- I think you want – they're in a position where they need they need more bites of the apple, right? And they, they just need to take more chances on guys that can help them succeed up the road. Now, listen, I think you have to – stick to what you're saying. And one of the things that you're saying is that you need to get Justin Fields a dependability piece. And so if there was a receiver sitting there 
you know, at the start of day two that you didn't expect to slip out of day one. Well, then you got to think about picking up the phone and, and, and calling around and saying, hey, if we jump up from, you know, 39 to 34, you know, what can we afford to give up to get us a receiver that, that we know will mesh with Justin, right? There's a couple guys in this draft that you could point to and say prior history with Justin. If they tend to slip, which I doubt they will, Chris Olave being the, the, the one name that, that you would love to see there at the end of, uh, of day two if you could. Then you, then you make a move. But I do think that this, this receiver class is very deep. There's a lot of talent that's going to be available on day two. And so you better not get in one of those Ryan Pace mindsets where you become so fixated on one flavor that you can't see the other good flavors behind the glass at the 31 flavors, you know? No, absolutely. And this is a short question, but a long question yep. at the same time. Don't laugh at me, Chris. I swear to God. We're supposed to be having fun here with Dan, all right? Um, how, how quick is this turnaround going to be? Because I look at their opponents. I look at Justin Fields. I look at the, what they still have on defense, uh, the one, two weapons that they have on offense, and I look at it and I'm saying that, look, you have a window. You have Justin Fields' rookie quarterback window to get this right and make a run at something before, hopefully, you have to pay him. And like, yeah, you're like, oh my God, we're going to have to pay our quarterback a ton of money. But that's a good thing because you, that usually means he's good and justifies that contract, right? So if to me, if you're in the beginning of this, when you started, you're like, hey, there's not going to be a lot of headlines and it's going to be a down year. But if it's a down year, that means, and, and, and by down year, I mean four or five wins. And so if it's a down year in terms of four or five wins, to me, that means that Justin Fields hasn't made any progress as a quarterback and that this just might not be it. Black, after we get off, I want you to time <laughs> the length of that question. I want you to give me a word count, and then we'll, and we'll talk you know, about I mean, questions. there's a lot to go in there. <laughs> that's I mean, a short question, but here's three minutes. It's a short, well, the short question is how long is this turnaround going to take? But then, like, yeah. I'm, i got to add all the caveats in there to say, like, I think it should be quicker. Like, if Justin Fields is the guy, this should be a quick turnaround. If he's so not the a, guy, then we're back to square one. I have a quick answer that's going to take five minutes. Okay. So, <laughs> Let's start here. And, and, and the starting point here is that Ryan Poles cannot allow himself to feel rushed by mistakes that the organization has made in the past. And what I mean by that is that the Bears offered Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace the chance to go out and invest in a quarterback in 2021, right? That should not accelerate Ryan Poles' timeline because the, the, the organization itself was misguided on where they thought they were in their, their, their competition window, right? So that, 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 that's one thing to keep in, in the back of your mind, that, that, that there's no incentive for Ryan Poles to rush things when he wants to take a long-term vision to get this thing to sustain itself. I think there's also a myth that has just grown to, to two larger proportions in the NFL that you have to win when a quarterback's on his rookie deal. No, you have to win when a quarterback is great. Like, the, the, the Chiefs are paying Patrick Mahomes, and they expect to contend for a Super Bowl for 15 years, right? The, the, the Buffalo Bills are paying Josh Allen. They expect to contend for a Super Bowl for many, many years. So that, this idea that if you don't strike while Justin's on his rookie contract, you're never going to be able to strike at all is, is misguided to me because if Justin's a superstar, then you're going to contend every single year, and, and, and the size of his deal isn't going to matter. So you look at this roster, Abdallah, and the turnaround is not going to be quick. There are too many holes. Now, can a quarterback speed that up for you? Absolutely. Can you put things around him to hope that you can put him in position to speed things up for you? Absolutely. But when you look at this team from an objective lens, and you talk to people around the league that look at this roster, the Bears are nowhere close to contending for anything meaningful right now. And so you have to take that long view and say, look, we're not close, 
And so we have to be patient and disciplined. And if it means we go 6-11, and 11, but we see true growth out of Justin in 2022, then so be it. That's just the path we're on. So, yeah, that's a pretty good answer. It's a pretty uh, short, succinct answer. Yeah, there, I mean, that, that's kind of my point is that, look, like four wins means that Fields sucks. Like he's not the guy. Like four so wins. How do, feel, how do you feel about six wins? Like that, that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. I think now. you're getting There's closer there. I think six or seven. I think they can win seven games. I think that Vegas number is pretty spot on. Yeah. I, I think the fact that you have to decide between six and seven, uh, the number of Vegas right now, six and a half. Dan, I, I think that's right on the mark. I think this team is going to be just shy of being in that conversation to be 500 or, or trying to sniff the playoffs. But I, I think we do see an improvement. And I, I think I'm ruling out right now, and I, I've talked about this on the, on the show, is I, I'm ruling out like three wins. I don't, I don't think this is a two or three win team. It's not. Unless you get really, really hurt. And unless you get to a point where your, your visionaries at the top of the front office decide that they want it to be a three win team so they can pick in the top five, right? Like right, right. that sort of mm-hmm. happened in 2017 because they knew that they were going to launch John Fox and they knew that, you know, that, that there were things that, that were going to happen over time that they, that, you know, they, they wanted that pick to, to go out and draft the quarterback and they knew they wanted Mitch Trubisky in the top five. And so if you go back and look at that year that preceded 2017, it was a year where guys got hurt and they didn't come back. And then, a, you know, a guy had an injury in November and it was like, Oh, we're throwing him an IR. <laughs> there are ways to do that. If you want to do that strategically, uh, I'm just not sure that that Ryan Poles is there. And then to your point, look like, you have to have people feeling good about the direction of your quarterback. I think we're all in agreement there that when this season ends, no matter what the final record is and no matter how far you miss the playoffs, people better feel good about Justin Fields' year two, much better than they felt about his rookie season. Otherwise, again, you're, you're getting your finger closer and closer to that reset button, and I'm not sure that any of the three of us or any of the millions of people in Chicago can take another one of those quick resets. Dan, we all watch a lot of college football, and as we head towards the draft, what, what do you make of the quarterback class coming into this year's NFL draft? Clearly uh, not as star-studded uh, as we saw last year with Fields and Lawrence and all the different five quarterbacks going in the first round. But you have Pickett, you have Willis, you have a couple of names, Ritters out there. What do you think of the the guys who are leaving college, entering the NFL, uh, likely to be first-round picks this upcoming season in the NFL draft? Yeah, Willis intrigues me. You know, there's traits there, and, and, and there's, a, there's an energy that he gives off that you say, boy, that, that could be fun to build around if you can tap in to that potential that's there with him, that, that, that could really be fun. It's just not the type of, you know, star-studded class that we've seen uh, in pockets over the last five, six, seven years. And, and so it's, it, it's part of the reason we've seen the NFL go wild the last couple months with the quarterback movement because people realize, oh, boy, this isn't the year to address this position in the draft. And if, if we want to have one, we better find other means to get one. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see the way those guys come off the board on night one, again, the Bears are going to be sitting out night one of the draft. That's become a, a, a too common tradition here in Chicago where, you know, you just sit in front of the TV on night one and go, oh, great, the Bears don't have a pick. The Giants are going to use their pick at, at number seven. Cool. Uh, so it's going to be uh, something to keep an eye on when, when you're not keeping an eye on anything Bears-related on night one. Dan, we love talking football with you. Thank you for taking time for us. Usually, uh, based on our schedule and your schedule, we, we're usually in the background when you're on ESPN 1000. Uh, so we're always listening. We're always reading you on the Chicago Tribune. Uh, but finally, we get to have you on our show and, and the podcast, and we appreciate you making time for us today. A nice, measured conversation yeah, grounded, about the Bears. Grounded in reality, Look right? at that. I love conversations that are grounded in reality. You guys know that I always have time for your show. Whenever you want me or need me, we need to uh, make sure that that's part of uh, the station's goal is to, to get 
Dan mixed up with Chris and Adam, and then we make magic happen and let people know what's really going on. Absolutely. Boom. Love it, Dan. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, fellas. Be good.